It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. We're in a series of messages which we're calling The Way. And we began a couple of weeks ago, a number of weeks ago, we looked at what is becoming one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's from Isaiah chapter 2, where Isaiah the prophet says this. He says, In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be exalted above every mountain. It will be raised above every hill. And all the nations will come streaming to it. And they'll be saying, Come, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go to the house of the God of Jacob, so that there he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. And then Isaiah goes on, he says, the Torah, the law, the way, that's another way of saying the way, the way will go from from Zion, the the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and and God will judge amongst the nations, and he will settle disputes amongst peoples, and and the consequence of that is that nations will take their swords and beat them into plowshares, and they'll take their spears and they'll beat them into pruning hooks. Because you see, nation no longer will take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And then Isaiah says, come, Oh, house of Jacob. And it's not an invitation, it's, it's an imperative. Walk in the light of the Lord. So important that we walk in the light of the Lord because in order for the nations to say, come, let us go to the house of the Lord, they, well, they, they, need, they need a people who model that for them. And, and I remember on that first sermon in this series, I, I, I shared with you the sentence that the problem with most sermons is when they're over, they're over. And it can't be over. It can't be over when we walk out of these doors because, oh, house of Jacob, we need to walk in the light of the Lord because that's the way the nations will come to the house of the Lord. And they'll come to the house of the Lord for this reason, because they want to, they want to be taught by God his way so that they may walk in his path. Which, which really struck me because each of us has a path and each of us has our own personality and our own character and our own gift mix and, and we have a certain way that we do things and we do that individually and we do that as a family. Every family has their own character. There's certain norms and mores and, that define our families and how we do things and, and even as the house of God, even as the Holland Heights Church, this church has, has its own character. There's a way we do things here and there's, a, and there's a sense in which we share that with the church universal but there are certain things that are uniquely Holland Heights. I was talking to an individual this week and they were in a conversation with some other folks who are not members here but of the broader Holland community and, and they said, you know, we hear about a lot of churches in, in the Grand Rapids area and the Holland area and, and a lot of conflict, a lot of, you know, but we've never really, Holland Heights, and you guys, you guys had your share of stuff over the years but you know we just whenever we hear about Holland Heights we smile and I, I think that's kind of cool that's part of our character come let us go to the house of the Lord that he may teach us his, his way so that we may walk in his paths and that's what we're trying to do here and that's why we're here this morning and then last week if you weren't here last week 
well, I'm sorry, I don't mean to make you feel bad, but you missed a lot. It was a great service. God spoke to us through the sacrament of baptism. And every time he does, it's special. But this time it was tad sweeter. It was Michael's baptism. And his passage as a passage for his life, and maybe later on he'll, when he gets of age, he'll say, yes, that is my passage, or he'll choose another one. All good, all good. But his passage was from, again from Isaiah, the 26th chapter. And that chapter went this way. In that day, the song will be sung through the land of Judah. We have a strong city. And God has made salvation its ramparts and its walls. So open the gates that the righteous may enter. The righteous, that is, those who keep faith. It says, and he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. That is, he who trusts in you. And then Noel helped us there. And then she had us repeat after her, and I'll have you repeat after me. And the last line of that verse goes, Trust in the Lord. The Lord. The Lord, our rock eternal. In order to walk God's ways, in order to walk God's way, according to God's paths, God's ways, what you have to have is trust. And I remember for me, when you think of these messages or when you process them later on, to me, one of the blessings in my heart was I always wondered, like in Hebrews 11, near the end of the chapter, it talks about people, they were put in caves, they were torn in two, and then it says, after all these descriptions of all the great sacrifices that were made, and it says of these, of these people, the world was not worthy of them. And I thought, how do you grow a people? How do you develop your faith walk in such a way that God says of you, the world's not worthy of you? And I think it has everything to do with trust. Trusting God. So we're involved in this series of messages, and now today, I want to I continue. Quite frankly, for us to trust in God, um, there are times, and I love our background slide because these guys are rock climbers, and, and one guy is at the top, and he's pulling, he's got his hand out there, and the, the guy below has got his hand grasped, and he needs that guy to get up there. He is in one of those positions. He doesn't have, when, I, when we're on our trips, I tell people when we're climbing the mountains, always three points on the mountain. One hand, two feet, two hands, one foot, but always three points on the mountain. This guy's only got two. If he lets go of that hand, baby, he's gone. And quite frankly, I love the picture because this is a picture of how I think intimately we need God and how much God wants to be involved in our lives. But quite frankly, there are times when it's like this, it feels like. God, where are you? How can I trust you when you're not even on the radar? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things have been made. And apart from him, nothing has been made that's been made. And in him is life, and that life is the light of the world, and the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Hear these words as they come to us through the Gospel of Mark. Now, leaving the crowds, they took Jesus with them, just as he was in a boat. Now, there were other boats. Suddenly, a furious storm arose. And the waves beat against the side of the boat 
so that it was almost swamped. And the disciples came to him. Jesus was in the boat, and he was in the stern, asleep. The disciples came to him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we perish? And also God's word through the psalmist, who says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I called upon the Lord. At night, I I had outstretched arms, and yet my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my heart grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I I remember days gone by. I remember years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night, and my heart mused, and my spirit inquired, will the Lord reject forever? Will we never see his favor again? Has God's unfailing love vanished? Has his promises failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in his his anger withheld, withheld his compassion from us forever? And then I thought, to this I will appeal. To the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember your works, O Lord. Yes. I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate upon your deeds. I will contemplate your works. Because your ways, O God, are holy. What God is like our God? Our God does mighty works, mighty displays. He he works miracles amongst the nations. He displays his power amongst the nations. He redeems with his mighty arm his people, the descendants of Jacob and of Joseph. Oh, the waters saw you, O Lord. The waters saw you and they writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds, the clouds poured forth water and the skies were full of your thunder. Lightning flashed back and forth, back and forth. The thunder was heard, in, and your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. And the whole sky was lit up with your lightning, and the earth trembled and shook. But your path led through the mighty waters, your way through the mighty seas. And though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. Aaron. The very words of God. You may be seated. The passages are from Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter, and we'll get there in a few moments. But the larger passage is from Psalm 77. And I would like to look at that with you for a moment, please. Would you, would you open up your Bibles to Psalm 77? Do you see the title in the psalm? Do you see that there? That's in the original Hebrew. That's part of the, of the psalm. Oftentimes, we don't, we don't really pay attention to it. The translators, as far as the NIV, and, and I'm not criticizing them, but the translators have, have taken that to be someone's name. Hence, they've capitalized it. I don't know if it's somebody's name. What it means is for the director of music for praise or celebration of Asaph. Now, Asaph is, we know, he is... Uh, a musical person as far as the psalms go. Whether the guy's name is praise or celebration or whatever, 
That's what this psalm is for, praise and celebration. And as I was memorizing it and contemplating this psalm for our time today, I was just thinking, well, that's an interesting name to describe this psalm. It doesn't really sound like a psalm of praise. I've got to tell you, there have been times not that long ago when, I, when I've said, God, where are you? God, I called upon you. I, I remembered you in my time of distress. I called upon your name. And there are, time, there are nights I couldn't get any sleep. You kept my eyes from closing. And when I woke up in the morning, quite frankly, I was too troubled to speak. And my heart mused and my spirit inquired, are you going to forsake forever? Have you, have you ever had that? There are times sometimes I wonder if, if in the church sometimes we give this picture of, of how much God loves you and he loves you. And how much God's going to be there for you and he's there for you. But somehow we step out of the side of these rooms and because, because we don't understand certain things, it seems like God has pulled the ripcord and he is gone, baby. He's gone. I've been knocking. I've been seeking. I've been asking. But no door has been opened. No one has listened and I haven't received. I really think it's important as we think about the way and we think about God's way for our lives, He's got a way and he's got a path. I think really, in order to walk that path, you have to have trust. And then I'm thinking, where does the trust come from? Where does the trust come from? I thought about that passage in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is right there in the boat with the disciples. And there's a storm. And Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, and there's a storm. It is a bad storm. Most of his disciples are fishermen, so they know how to handle the vessel. But even they are terrified. And it looks like, and I can't miss the picture, it looks like God is asleep. <laughs> Don't you care if we drown? I am on two points on the rock. I am totally dependent upon you, God. If you let go now, I'm undone. I am exactly where you want me to be. I've invested in you, God. Where are you? I think I'm falling. That's what the psalmist, I think, in Psalm 77. He says, I cried out to God. It begins with, I cried out to God for help. Yes? Is that? And then it says, the next line, I cried out to God to hear me. Because apparently help wasn't coming. It was like, God, do you even hear me? When I was in distress, I called upon the Lord. All night my arms were up, outstretched, and <laughs> but my soul refused to be comforted. God didn't, God didn't show up. And he goes on. I mean, it's not enough to state at once. He states the same thing several times over in this psalm. I remembered you, O oh Lord, and I groaned. And it's a picture of someone. Well, you've heard the expression, frustration comes from unmet expectations. So we have to understand, are my expectations realistic or are they unrealistic? There are certain expectations that I have, and I'm satisfied and I'm happy when my expectations are met. When my expectations aren't met, I get frustrated. I get upset. 
Now, did I have realistic expectations or unrealistic expectations? And it seems to me that this psalmist in Psalm 77 does not have unrealistic expectations. He is appealing to God, the king of the universe, sovereign over all. And he expects at least to be heard, if not answered. And from his perspective, he's not being heard. In fact... As with a lot of folks, myself included, you have a whole series of unmet expectations with all those frustrations. You do the theological math on that one, baby, and you know what you get? You start questioning the character of God. Does he care? Has his promises failed? Will we ever experience his love? He must be angry because that's why he's withholding his compassion. And then the psalmist pauses. And the psalmist says, then, well here, let's, let's look at it. Here, I'm talking about it. I have you, verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. Now, when I was just a little thing between you and me. When I was memorizing this, I was memorizing it this way. To this I will appeal. To the years at the right hand of the Most High. But that's not what it says. In other words, I was translating, I was thinking through, I was praying through this as I was internalizing this passage of Scripture. To this I will appeal. To the years at the right hand, of, to my years at God's right hand. But that's not what the psalm says. What the psalm says, to this I will appeal the years at the right hand of the Most High. To the years of the right hand of the Most High. And then he goes on. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Verse 10 and 11 in Psalm 77, if you have your own Bible, if you don't, take the one in the pew with you. Mark this down. Psalm 77, verses 10 and 11. Underline them. That's the pivot point. That's the pivot point. God has a way that he wants us to go. And he wants, he wants us to live that way on a path that he has for each of us. Now, in order for me to walk that path, I'm going to have to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord our rock eternal. It's interesting, rock eternal. Rocks don't tend to move. <laughs> in order for me to walk that way, walk his path, walk it his way, I'll have to trust God. In order for me to trust, an important component of trusting, I don't know how you possibly can trust unless you're able to remember. Remember. You have to remember. Now you have to have something to remember. And I think that's why God brought us here this morning. God brought us here this morning. He doesn't bring us to a place like this to put us down. He brings us to a place like this to give us hope, to give us assurance, 
to, to speak into our hearts, to speak into our lives. And if we have open minds and open hearts and, we are, and we're committed to give God everything we can to bless, then we can begin to make a memory. Do you remember last year, one of my favorite, one of my favorite insights that God revealed to me, and I don't know exactly through what source he gave it to me, but I read or heard this somewhere that his story, history, his is his story, memory is my story. And the moment I begin to remember, his story becomes my story. The moment you begin to remember what's being said in this psalm, it's no longer God's story, it's no longer the psalmist's story, it's your story. It's your story. I don't know how you can possibly trust God without remembering. And I don't know how you can possibly walk his paths, his way, without trusting him. Now let me show you something in Psalm 77. Got your Bibles open? In Psalm 77, it says, I cried out to, what does your Bible say? God, yeah, that, this is easy, it's right there. Okay, we'll try this over again. In Psalm 77, it says, I cried out to, what does your Bible say? God. And then if you go over to verse 7, it says, in my Bible, will the, what's your say? Lord. It's been a while. Let me show you this. Oh, I, th I just think this is so cool. I've told you, and Mark, in his prayer time, referenced this. I've shared this with you before. In the Bible, when you see God, Lord, and Lord, they are three different Hebrew words. The word Lord is Adonai. Say Adonai. Adonai appears 420 times in the Hebrew Bible. Now, that's Lord as a master. That's Lord as your boss. You know, the old English, the Lord of the Manor. This is capital L, little O, little R, little D. In Hebrew, it's the word Adonai. Now, the word for God that's translated as God is Elohim. Say Elohim. Elohim happens 2,600 times. That's the word for God. Now, in those 2,600 times that you see that word, not every time does it refer to capital G, little O, little D. Sometimes, of those 2,600 times, it's sometimes little g, little o, little d. In other words, in Psalm 77, it says, Your ways, in verse 13, Your ways, O God, Elohim, are holy. What Elohim, little g, God, is as great as our Elohim, God. In Hebrew, that's all the same word. But what is so cool, and what makes 10 and 11 so cool it says then I thought to this I will appeal to the years at the right hand of the most high I will remember the deeds what's your Bible say of the Lord capital L capital O capital R capital D that's the covenantal name of God that happens over 5,700 times. 5,790 times does that word happen in the Hebrew Bible. Now, I've told you this before. I'll say it to you again. Because in Hebrew, if you want to emphasize something, one of the most profound ways of emphasizing it, trust in the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is our rock eternal. You repeat it. The Lord is holy, holy, holy. And of the most repeated designation of how God describes himself, of the way he wants to relate to us is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You can call me George, you can call me Pastor, you can call me Reverend, you can call me Mr. DeYoung. There's a whole host of things you can call me. One thing you can't call me is Dad. Only four people, five now, can call me Dad. My daughters, my sons-in-law, and my grandson. 
It is a unique, special relationship. That's, that's what God's calling you to remember. He wants you to know him as God, yes. He wants you to know him as Lord, Adonai, yes. But his relationship with you, your relationship with him, the one in which he wants you to put all of your trust is in Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the covenantal name of God. And when you understand the covenantal name of God, you understand that that name is never reactive. It's always proactive. It is God's covenantal love for you that while we were yet sinners, he demonstrated his love for us in this before we did a thing to endear ourselves to him. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. And he didn't give his son so that he could condemn the world. No! He gave his son to save the world. He loves you so much. And when the psalmist says, ah, I will remember the works of Yahweh, the Lord. Ah, your miracles of old. Mm, I will meditate on your works. I'll contemplate your deeds, for your ways are holy. They're special. There's something special about the way God has worked. There is something very special about the way God is working. And there's something very special about the way God will be working. And all of a sudden, the psalmist begins with all this chaos that's around. With all the thunder and the lightning and the waves and the storms and and the psalmist says, but you know what? Your path led through the sea. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through the mighty waters. And you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Which brings me back to, to Mark chapter 4. Because here you have Jesus in a storm. Open up your Bibles, would you please, to Mark chapter 4. Let's finish our time in Mark's gospel. I want to show you a couple things that kind of, I don't know, this week, I never, I don't know if I should be admitting these things to you. I had never seen this before. Now, I have memorized, I have taught on Mark 4 in the lands of the Bible. I've taught it here before. It comes up in more sermons than I realize. And I learned something new about Mark chapter 4, about this story that I had never seen before. Okay, let me just read it with you. Okay, that day, in verse 35, that day when evening came, he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took Jesus along just as he was in a boat. Now there were also other boats with him. And I wonder, why do I need to know that? But be that as it may, another sermon. A furious squall, really, storm, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that the, it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, so he was in the boat. I think when Mark wrote this, he smiled, sleeping uh, on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, what did they say to him? Teacher, that's interesting. This story is repeated one other place in the Gospels. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. Now in Matthew's Gospel, and this is, I mean, each Gospel writer is writing and he has his own narrative art. There's things that in the story he wants to highlight. But in Matthew's rendition, in Matthew 8, the disciples come to him and say, Lord. They wake him up and say, Lord. Here, they wake him up and say, teacher. Interesting. Okay, why well, is a teacher? 
And, and it's the Greek word for teacher. It's not, it's not rabbi, it's didaskale, it's teacher. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And then he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. For a lot of years, I just kind of read over that rebuke thing. Now, why did he rebuke the wind and the waves? And when I think of this, and you don't have to go with me here. I'm laying this one down. You don't have to pick it up. But when I come at this from Psalm 77, and I see the psalmist remembering, remembering the works of the Lord, yes, remembering his miracles of long ago, contemplating on his power, meditating on his works, for his works are holy. What God is like our God. And then he says, you know, the waves saw you, oh Lord, the waves saw you, and they were, they were convulsed, the very depths. When the water saw God, and, and so I'm thinking Jesus is in the boat, no wonder there's a storm. This is Psalm 77. Jesus is in the boat, he's right in the, of course the waves, in the, and Jesus is asleep. It is not bothering him. Now here's a question for you. Now it's a picture, okay? It's a picture. It's the disciples' perception. They perceived Jesus as asleep. He probably was. But there are times in our lives when it seems like God is with us, but he's not with us. And the disciples come and wake him up and say, Teacher, now let me ask you this. At what point did Jesus' authority kick in? At what point did Jesus' authority kick in over the wind and the waves? Or did it ever kick in? Or rather, better put, was it always there? I have a feeling what's going on here with the wind and the waves, when Jesus rebukes him and says, peace be still, I think he's a little miffed. And I think he's a little miffed at his disciples. And here's why. There's a story of a, of a man who was brought by his friends. Jesus is teaching, and they dig a hole in this guy's ceiling. And they, they drop this guy through it. He's lame, can't walk. And Jesus responds to the guy on the mat. He says, your sins are forgiven. Which is interesting because he's lame. And the forgiveness of sins, though we appreciate that very much, but it would be, well, there are some scribes and Pharisees around there who are thinking, well, who is he who forgives sins? Because that's a big deal. And then Jesus, in response to their questioning, Ask, well, what is it easier for me to forgive his sins or tell him to pick up his mat and walk? Well, pick up your mat and walk. So the healing was kind of in response to the doubting. There's one time Jesus is walking along the temple. You can see it, and, and, and the disciples say, Rabbi, yes, this man, yes, who sinned that he was born blind? No, no, not all. You got all. This is for the glory of God. And because the disciples had, then Jesus proved putting some mud in the guy's eyes and sending him down to Pool of Siloam. In other words, I wonder if Jesus rebuking the wind and the waves was in response to the disciples' fear. Because Jesus was asleep in the boat. I mean, Jesus had shalom. But disciples couldn't see the shalom of Jesus because of all the wind and the waves. And that's, isn't it interesting? They call him teacher, yes? So what's he been teaching? 
So now we got to look back a little bit in Gospel of Mark. Look back up a little bit. I'm noticing, like in my Bible, and I got one of those where they made all the words of Jesus in red letters. And you, you back up a little bit, baby, and you're in red letter district. This is red letter district. This is all, this is all Jesus talking, and he's teaching. He's teaching about the parable of the sower. He's teaching about a lamp on a stand. He's te- teaching about growing seeds. He's teaching about the mustard seed. And that day, when he spent the whole day teaching. So no wonder they say to him, teacher. But the fact of the matter is, is that the disciples were there in this whole day of teaching, but I don't think they learned a thing. And here's where I really think that Jesus kind of miffed. He's kind of upset. Do you see what he says to his disciples? He said to his disciples, why are you so, what's your Bible say? Afraid. If you look up the word afraid, you'll find it in a number of other places in the English translation. But if you look up the Greek word for afraid here, you'll find it in two other places. You'll find it in Matthew's rendition of the same story. Because Jesus says the same thing to his disciples there. Why are you so afraid? In Greek, the Greek word is delos, and delos means why are you so, why are you such a coward? And there's only one other place where this word coward comes. You ready for it? Here. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's according to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8. That's the only other place that you'll find this word for coward. That's the word Jesus uses to describe his disciples. And tell me he isn't a little ticked. You mean you have been sitting with my teaching all day, all week, the last year. You mean you grew up in a family, in a community of faith. And if I'm sleeping in a storm, you're afraid. You're a coward. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you don't know me. Many will say, Lord, Lord, I never knew you because you're a coward. And trust me, says Jesus, there's a place in hell for you. I put you right with those sorcerers and those immoral people. Tell me he's not a tad upset. I think it breaks his great heart. There's a place, I think it's Isaiah chapter 5, where God says, through the prophet Isaiah, what more could I have done? What more could I have done? See, I think the disciples' problem was they were not connecting the dots. They thought this was for everybody else. They they weren't remembering. And I'm telling you, the psalmist in Psalm 77 remembered the deeds of God, of the Lord, the miracles of long ago, and Jesus is in their midst, and he's doing miracles in their very sight. And they're not remembering. The miracle of Jesus' presence is an expression of God's love. And it was miraculous. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, dead, and buried. He rose again. Jesus is a miracle of God. He's the most amazing miracle that God has ever done. And why did God send his son, Jesus? And why does God bring you here? He knows. He knows. He knows what it's like out there. He knows that the evil one's going around like a, like a lion, seeking those who he can devour. He knows that there's a lot of uphill. He knows there's a lot of darkness. But you're of the light. And he, he brings you to a place here to say to you the words that Moses said to Joshua. He said to him in the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with these people into the land. You've got to go out of the sanctuary. You've got to go into the portion that God's going to give you. You've got to go that the Lord swore to the forefathers to give to them. And the Lord himself will go before you and will be with you. And he will, together congregation, he will... Okay, let's take the you out of there and let's put the me... He will never leave, and he will never me. Now, when you look up that word for forsake, do you know what translates? The literal translation, he will never forsake you. You know what it, you know what it literally means? He will never let you go. He will never let you go. Because there are going to be times, folks, when I walk with God, I'm going to have three points in the rock, and I'm climbing. And then there are other times when I, I got just two points in the rock, and I'm holding there may be other times when I've got one thing on the rock and I'm just holding. And there were other times when, I'm, when I've got nothing on the rock. And I learned that I never really held on to him. He's always been the one who's held on to me. Don't be a coward. Whatever you do, don't be a coward. Come, let's go to the house of the Lord so he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Trust in the Lord, the Lord, the Lord our rock eternal. I will remember your deeds of long ago. Yes, O oh Lord, your miracles. When you walk out of here today and you walk into the day that is before you and the week that is before you and God willing, he'll weave all of our paths together so we'll be together again next week. And in that time, remember, remember, remember the way, the life, and the truth. Remember your Jesus. Pray with me, please. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, sovereign over all. We bless you and we thank you for this time and, and this, your word. As we look at the psalmist and we think of Psalm 77 and we think of, of how, Lord, in so many ways, there are times, it's just times, I... It, it's where are you and yet you never leave and you never forsake give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we set our hearts on everything that you want to show us because we understand Lord that's that's why you brought us here so that we may go and tell so so Savior lead us we pray in your name and all God's people said. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua. Please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree. 
P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.